I'm going to let y'all throw out some ideas. If you could eat lunch with anybody that's alive, not, not somebody that's passed away in history, somebody that's alive today, if you could eat lunch with them, who would you pick? Throw out a few names. Gene Krantz, okay. Do I know that person? That name sounds familiar. Okay. The name sounds familiar, but I couldn't pinpoint it as Gene Krantz. If you could sit down and eat lunch. Beth Moore, okay. Who else? Derek Jeter, okay. Yeah, he's a Yankee. I wouldn't want to. Do what? Okay, George Bush. So on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I got invited to do the FCA at Southwestern University at nine o'clock at night. So after Collide, finished praying with some students and then drove on over there. Well, the girls' basketball coach is the, is the one who's the adult sponsor or the professor sponsor, whatever you'd have for, for FCA. And, and so she had called several weeks ago and said, hey, would you be willing to do this, interested? And I said, yeah. And as we're talking, she says, do, I don't know if we know each other or not. She grew up in Georgetown. And, and I said, I don't know either. So after we finished uh, the phone conversation, I got on the Southwestern website to see if I'd recognize her. And so I pull up the coach's list. And as I'm pulling up the coach's list, I see her name. I'm like, no, I don't know her. See that the assistant coach there, which I didn't know was a student that graduated out of here, was pretty cool. And then right below or right above basketball was baseball. And my eye just got drawn to a name. And on there, it said, Jeff Kent, volunteer baseball coach. Now, I've said it over the last couple of weeks because it's been really pertinent to, to the world. I'm a San Francisco Giants fan on my life. And, I, and I'm going, you know, well, that's, that's all. I mean, Jeff Kent's not that crazy name, but Jeff Kent was the National League MVP in, I think, 2002, Giants second baseman. He's one of the, the best second baseman ever to play uh, for the Giants, for sure. I mean, up there in Major League Baseball history. And I'm like, there. I know he lives like in Texas, but I'm like, there, there is no way that Jeff Kent is the volunteer baseball coach for the Southwestern Pirates. I mean, that, that makes absolutely no sense in my mind. So I, I, I went to click on his name and there's nothing there. You can click on everybody else's name and it goes to their email, it goes to a picture. So now I'm going, well, that, I mean, if I, if I was a former MVP, I wouldn't want some idiot youth minister in town emailing me, you know, so <laughs> I wouldn't put stuff on there. So I Googled Jeff Kent Southwestern, and lo and behold, the greatest second baseman in my life, volunteer coaches for the Southwestern Pirates, as will I this spring. Um, so, I mean, I got cut from the baseball team in 10th grade, but I don't think that matters at this point for me. Uh, I, I'm going to be out there. So, you know, thinking about that, I go, that, how cool would that be, you know, to be sitting, you know, like, I'm sure he and I don't go to the same restaurants, you know, McDonald's is probably not at the top of his list. And with eight and a four-year-old, that's where we find ourselves. But if he was, in, I mean, I would sit down and be like, Jeff, buddy, old pal, you know, that would be great. Other people would pick, and you guys really picked people that weren't just celebrity. You picked people that could add some value to your life. It's interesting, Warren Buffett's one of those guys. Warren Buffett consistently finishes right around number two in the most wealthy people in America. Now, this list that's up here on this, on this screen is pretty incredible. Starting in, I think it started in 2003. For a charity in San Francisco, Warren Buffett started auctioning off a lunch on eBay for you to sit down and have lunch with the second most wealthiest man on the planet. And in 2003, you see David Einhorn from Greenlight Capital paid $250,100 for lunch. And then look what happens. By 2000, 
2008, it had got up to $2.1 million. It peaked in 2012, I don't know who paid it, uh, 3.4, a little over $3.4 million to sit down and eat lunch with a guy. Now, we're sitting, that's like so foreign to us, you know. We're like, if I had $3.4 million to spend on lunch, you know, I, I would use it for something else for sure. But, but you've got people who have great money and, and they look at a guy named like Warren Buffett, a guy who has made it financially. And they go, if I could sit down and have a meal with somebody, if I could pick somebody's brain, if I could hear what they would say to me if they were in my shoes, that's who I would pick. I'd pick Warren Buffett. Because when it comes to finances, he's got wisdom. I mean, the guy's proved it. Now, there's a lot of smart people in the world. And being smart is a good thing. I mean, we, I mean, we send our kids to school because we want them to be smart. S intelligence is great, but intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing. Wisdom is knowledge with application. It's not just knowing something. It's knowing something and doing it with observation and experience over a long period of time. Did you track with me there? I mean, knowledge is, hey, we can read a book and I can get knowledge. But wisdom is something different. Wisdom takes time. Wisdom, you don't just get in a day. Wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's the knowledge that's also been applied. You know, there's some people out there that, that, that know a lot of stuff, but they've never done it. And those are normally not people that we would say, hey, I'm going to them for wisdom, maybe in some areas, but, but knowledge plus application and then being able to observe that over a period of time brings someone to the, the point of wisdom. Give you an example, kind of in my life. When I was a younger youth minister, I was an associate at a church in Austin, and we were pretty close to the University of Texas campus. And so, you know, there you've got tens of thousands of college students. And I mean, we, we had a big college ministry in our church, but I was working with junior highers and high schoolers with teenagers. And, and I was sitting there going, man, we have all of these college students. Why don't we tap into them? In, in our youth ministry, we have zero college students serving. No college students leading small groups. No college students going on retreats. They're not doing anything. So I went to, I was the associate. I went to our, our youth minister and I said, I don't understand why we don't untap this, this people group. I mean, it's huge. And, and I was early 20s. I was right out of college. And I'm going, man, I would have loved to do that. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, I don't use college students because they're flaky. And I went, well, I mean, not, I mean, maybe some, but. I said, I mean, we got all of these. And he looked at me and said, listen, I'll tell you what. He said, I don't use them. For some of the things you're working on, some of your projects or things like that, or some ministries you're doing, if you want to use college, I'm not telling you you can't do it. I just don't do it because they're flaky. And I'm like, no, that's, that's really kind of stereo, stereotyping some college students. It's not fair to them. So the next couple of ministry things I did, I started kind of leaning in with our college minister and started getting uh, some college students signed up to help and some to, to lead the small group, some to go to retreat, some to come out on Wednesday night. I had several of them going and, you know, going to tap into and, and here's what I found about four months through that process. College students are flaky. That's, that's what I learned. Not all of them, because I, not all of them, and, and even to this day, like from that, I don't use a lot of college students unless they've kind of grown up here. If they've grown up through our youth ministry, they kind of get the DNA and what we're about and the expectation level. And so I'll use them. But, but other students, I don't use a whole lot because I learned the hard way. I had them set up for events. I had them doing things on Wednesday and then I'd get a phone call. Oh, I can't be there tonight. You know, and tonight was at seven o'clock and I was getting the phone call at five o'clock. I can't be there because my fraternity has this or I've got to study. And, I, and you know, <laughs> I, I didn't even want to go back to, 
my supervisor, my boss, because I just felt like he was going to be like, mm-hmm, I told you so. But I was looking at it from my perspective. As, as a college, when I was a college student, that's what I desired to do. I, I had been called into youth ministry, so that made sense. I had a passion to serve even then. And so I, I was looking for places to serve, and I was taking knowledge and applying it to my experience. I was going, no, college students, are, I would be, you know, I'd have been a good college student to serve, I, you know, in my mind, I thought. And so I took knowledge, applied it to myself, but I had somebody else who had the knowledge and application with observation over time. He had looked at me as a college student and said, yes, I used you for Disciple Now, and you did fine. You did well enough that I asked you to come on my team. But I've observed much longer than you have a, a greater group of experiences, and my conclusion has been you're going to end up getting burned. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. And, and I, I learned it the hard way. We can't learn it overnight. We can't be wise overnight. It's going to take time, but we can kind of kickstart wisdom. We can have some people in our lives that are, that are wise, that can speak into our lives that have been there. We can read books. Uh, we, we can read from people who've been there and done that and have written their experience down for us. There are some ways that we can, we can connect with wisdom so that we can become a little bit wiser. And that's why with Leadership Track, uh, our students that are 8th through 12th grade, they get, it's their choice. We don't pick them. If you have an 8th grade through 12th grader, uh, they can choose to do Leadership Track. And part of that is having a mentor. Part of that is reading books because we want them as young people, as they're growing leaders, to step into wisdom and, and become wise at an earlier age. So this morning, we're gonna talk about wisdom. And we're gonna do it a little bit different. Normally, when we kind of look at a message for the week, I try to like lean in on one verse or maybe one main verse with some other verse, because I want you to be able to go back home this week with your students. And I don't want you to have to go normally through like a whole chapter of the Bible. I don't want you to have to go, hey, there were six different verses he pointed to, and where were they? So I tried to give you just one verse so that you can mark it in your Bible, find it, talk about it at home. When you open up that yap that has parent questions, there's just kind of one main point and one verse to let, to let our lives hover around to apply that wisdom. Week, so that's not overwhelming. But this morning, we're gonna do something a little different. Since we're talking about wisdom, we're gonna go to the book of Proverbs. In, in the Bible, there's a section of, of books that are it's called wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all fit in this category. Uh, and so there's a lot said, even in the Psalms, about honesty. But this morning, we're gonna look at a handful of verses. We're gonna look at four verses out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, most of it was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon is known uh, to be one of the wisest men to, to ever live. And so in this collection of proverbs and sayings that he wrote some of, and I'm sure others wrote um, different ones, there's some principles that help us lean into other people's wisdom. And the Proverbs are great. Some people, you might even start reading through Proverbs. There's 31 chapters. I know a lot of people who read a chapter a day every month. And so 31 days, they read you know, through the book of Proverbs each month. But we're going to look at some of these. And I want you to look at this first one. It's going to be in Proverbs 12, 22. And what we're going to discover is this, that wise people, and we want to be wise, wise people understand the value of honesty. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. These are just going to be one verse at a time. Here's one of them. It says, lying lips, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. That word abomination, we don't use very often. It's a, it's a real strong word. In, in the Hebrew, it's the word toeva. 
And, and it means something that's disgusting or it means something that's unclean. And so when, even in our English language, when we translate it, we, we, we don't throw that out. I mean, we don't go to a restaurant and say, you know, oh, my meal wasn't that good. I didn't like that. Re-. We say that. We don't go and say, well, I went to that restaurant. And it was an abomination. We say that because we're like, whoa, wow. You know, that, we, we, we sense that that's a strong word. And this English translation, this Hebrew word picks that up. It, it's something that is disgusting. Um, think of this. If you go back to Old Testament times, even Jesus times, they didn't, there wasn't medical treatments like we have today. Um, and so if somebody had a skin disease, the Bible calls leprosy, that's several different skin diseases. If somebody had a skin disease, they didn't have treatments like we have. And so you would have these, these diseases that uh, would make people unclean. And this word toeva also is used from a ritual standpoint to, to, paint, to, to mean unclean from a spiritual real, ritual, ritualistic sense. So if you go to that, somebody that has leprosy would have been unclean in that society. But imagine if you walked up to somebody, and I, I, this is somewhat for shock value, but if you walked to somebody, just imagine, or the person sitting next to you maybe, had sores all over their arm, neck, face, all of the parts of their body that were uncovered. Not just sores, but sores that were oozing pus or things like that. Anybody have breakfast already? Uh, skin may be rotting, flesh rotting. There's a smell to that. People that may be losing even use of their limbs because of some type of disease like this. And they're sitting next to you in your small group on a Sunday morning. God bless you. You know, right, right there. And you can smell it and you can see it. And it's one of these things like, you want to look at it because it's like a train wreck, but you don't, you know, because it's, it's disgusting. It's to'eva. It's an abomination for, from the unclean sense, a person with leprosy, they, weren't, they wouldn't have been allowed to be here. They would not even not have been allowed to be here. They would have been on the outskirts of the city because of contagion and things like that. And so these people were outcasts. They were separated from society, one, because of the health risk, but two, because it's disgusting. The scripture says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We, we, we take lying lips and we categorize them. There's big lies and there's medium lies and then there's white lies. And we look at white lies, it's not that really big a deal. You know, it's, it, it was, I, I just got over a little bit. Maybe I think in my mind it, it even helped rather than hurt. And so I said this and what the scripture says, it doesn't just say, hey, lying lips are bad. It doesn't just say lying lips are, you know, God shakes his head. It says lying lips are an abomination. It's unclean. God looks at our lying lips like we might look at that person who is unclean and been separated out of the city because of, of their skin disease or whatever they have. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? I mean, that says something about the character of God. It's not just, he's not like shaking his head in a modest disapproval. God hates it when we lie. The word also is translated wicked. Imagine this. What if your kids came to you and said, hey, mom, dad, this weekend, I'm gonna go over to um, you know, my buddy's house. I'm going over to Robert's house and he's got this new Ouija board and like you can get around it and like you can like hear voices when you do the Ouija. You can like summon like demons. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's so cool. We're gonna go do that this weekend. <laughs> You'd be like, 
smacking that kid, right? I mean, you're like, you're absolutely not, you know? Summon demons, are you crazy? You know, you go, no, that, that is, there's no way you would allow your kid to be in that type of environment. And that is the picture of this word to'eva, that God says, your lying lips, they're unclean, they're disgusting, they're wicked. I don't want to be around that or any part of it. It's heavy stuff. It's not elementary stuff anymore. Now we're talking about the real deal. But on the flip side of that, here's what I love. Lying lips are an abomination, Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight, or that word can be translated, they bring pleasure to God. That, that's pretty awesome. So there is this negative side that lying lips are, are an abomination. But on the flip side, those who are faithful with their speech, those who are faithful with their life, they bring pleasure to God. God says, thank you. I, I enjoy when you do that. This, this, this makes me happy, if you will. And so we talk about wise people understand the value of honesty. Well, here's what we're hearing from someone who's wise. The value of honesty is this. It brings pleasure to God. It brings pleasure to the creator of the universe. That's a good person to bring pleasure to. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if we're gonna to try to please anyone, our spouse is going to be up there. A boss is going to be up there. Maybe even our kids. But the creator of the universe peaks that list of who we're trying to please. And the scripture is very clear. It's, it's wisdom. It says if you act faithfully, and it's coming out of this discussion of, of lying lips, that brings pleasure to God. And on the flip side of it, it doesn't disgust God. Some good stuff. Let's look at what else the writer of the Proverbs says. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 13. Probably flip a page. Proverbs says this, says, righteous lips are the delight of a king. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. So what we hear as we're leaning into some wisdom from somebody who's been there and done that and applied it over time and observed it, as we find this, we see that, that honesty brings pleasure to God, but honesty also brings pleasure to other authorities. Not just God is an authority. Honesty brings pleasure to your boss. If you're a student, honesty brings pleasure to your teacher. In the fall of 2012, there was a guy named Bismarck Minha. He was an immigrant from Ghana and um, he was working part-time at a Walmart right outside of Seattle. I got a picture of him. And uh, Bismarck was doing part-time job. He was trying to save up money and he was sending money back to his family in Ghana who had, a, had started a business there. And so he's, he's just working for the, you know, in the American dream, trying to get started to help out his family. Well, his job as a part-time service crew person at Walmart was to collect these cards that you see him holding. And so that was what he did. He was out and he would get cards. And along the way, people would leave behind keys. You know, they'd set them in the, the little pocket up front and they would walk away and he would clean them out. People leave their wallets behind. People would leave a credit card. And as he sees a family dropping off a cart and they're headed off to their car, he's going and getting the carts and they've left behind an envelope. And the envelope is one of those envelopes that has a clear front on it. And he sees that there's cash inside. And so the, they're headed to their car. He opens it up and he realizes it's not just a little bit of cash. There's a lot of cash. Didn't count it at the time, but found out later, $20,000 in cash. That's a terrible thing to leave in your Walmart shopping cart. $20,000 in cash. Here's the guy who's making $9.09 an hour part-time trying to help his family in Ghana survive and build a business. What does $20,000 do for you? 
what does $20,000 do for you who's probably not making $9.09 an hour? You know, I mean, right? He has this dilemma of what do I do? The family has now moved off getting into their car. And this guy runs them down, stops them, says, I think you left this in the cart. It was their house down payment. That's why they had it all there. They were heading that day or the next day to buy a house. And I mean, with tears in their eyes, they're trying to give him money and this guy wouldn't take any of it. Of course, they call Walmart, you know, and, and let him know. And he ends up winning uh, the Integrity in Action Award from Walmart. And he gets a promotion, helps his family out. Still slowly moving towards the $20,000 bonus he could have had. But what's more important? In the eyes of his authorities, in the eyes of his boss, they, they gave him this award. They gave him a promotion. Why'd they give him a promotion? Because when you're an authority, you realize that one of your jobs as a person of authority or as a leader are to build other leaders. If you are a boss, if you are a CEO of your company and you hoard all of the authority, if you hoard all of the power, you will have a limit to your business. It can't go past you. But a good leader looks and says, I've got to, I've got to divest authority. I've got, to, I've got to pass authority and leadership. I've got, to, I've got to give responsibility out to other people so we can grow the organization. Well, if a leader is doing that, if an authority is doing that, who are they looking for? People they can trust. People they can trust to say, I have authority and I've got to give it to somebody else. I don't want to give it to somebody who's going to abuse it. I don't want to give it to somebody who's going to use it and, and lack integrity and, and use this power, this authority for themselves. I'm looking for people who are trustworthy. I'm looking for people who are honest. And you get a guy like this and, and, the, and Walmart comes in and says, hey, we're going to promote you because you're the kind of guy that we like. That's, you're the kind of guy we want in our company. And that's what Proverbs 6, 13, 16, 13 is about. Righteous lips are the delight of a king. And he loves him who speaks what is right. Wise people value honesty. It's not just because it brings pleasure to God. It brings pleasure to the people that God has placed in authority in our lives. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the wise person says it's to your benefit. It's to your promotion that you're honest. May not work out this month that way. Honesty may cost you at times, surely. But in the long run, honesty is to your benefit because a king and authority loves that. Let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 28. See what else they say. Proverbs 16, 28, just a few verses down, says this. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. In 2011, the New York Times did this uh, news article, a report on this little town called Mountain Grove, Missouri. And I'm sorry, you're a Texas A&M fan. I didn't want to say Missouri, but that's where the place was, okay? Nothing I can do about it. I don't write history. It's just the way it works. Um, 2011, here's a story about Mountain Grove. It's a, a community of about 5,000 people. And in the article, uh, they kind of go back to the history. There's a little place called Dee's Diner. And at Dee's Diner, that was kind of the, the central meeting place of people in town. And they said like any small town, people would come in and, and Dee's Diner was the place where you gossiped over what happened in the community, where you talked about politics, where you talked about so-and-so, and I heard this and I heard that. And that was kind of the hub of where that happened. But with the technology change that's come in the last two decades, the gossip and the, the, the city discussion moved from Dee's Diner. It moved online to a website called Topics. 
Topics is kind of like a forum where you can post things, but you can do it anonymously. And people started taking their conversations that used to be in Dee's Diner face-to-face with someone else where there was some accountability if you said I saw this or this happened or this is happening in this family. And it moved online with no names, with no way to track it down. And it began to spread this wildfire of gossip and dishonesty and slander through this community in such a way that the New York Times went, we've got a story here. And they went and interviewed some of the people in the community. They interviewed people that worked at Dee's Diner where it used to be waitress Phoebe Best She said this new online place to gossip, she said it's actually caused physical fights with people in our town. It's caused divorces. The owner of the the diner described it as as a a cesspool of of character assassination. And this little bitty community was tearing up. One of the men in the community was at work when somehow or another he found out, I don't know if he was looking on the website, but found out that somebody had posted about his wife and said this about his wife, that she's a methed out, doped up attic with AIDS. None of that was true. And this is what he said. He said, we've got to get out of this town and I don't ever want to come back. It's crazy. That, that's, that's happening like in junior high and high school. But this is happening now inside, a, inside of a community, a small community where everybody knows everybody. Character assassination, gossip, slander. And, and the, the scripture, the, the person of wisdom says this, a dishonest man, somebody who, who can't control their speech and says things that aren't true, spreads strife. The whisperer separates close friends. None of us, none of us are aspiring in life to be someone who spreads strife, right? And we don't wanna be known that way. None of us in here, you know, have a, have a long-term or a short-term goal to be known by people as a relationship killer. We don't, we're not wanting that. And that's why we can say that wise people value honesty. Because somebody who's been there and done that and observed said this, the best way, we talked about it last week, and we said honesty is foundational to great relationships. That's what wisdom says. If you want to have great relationships, if you want to be people builders, if you want to be someone who uh, is well-respected, you don't want to be someone who causes strife, who separates close friends, you've got to lean into honesty. Let's look at the last one. Proverbs 19, verse 1. This writer says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Now we're talking about the American dream, right? Now we're talking about being successful. Now we're talking about having the right amount of money when we come to retirement. We're after wealth. Every one of us is. I mean, when we were young, and on a Wednesday night, the room will be different. There's gonna be a lot more people in that room that look at somebody who's poor but living for a cause as romantic. But the older you get, the less romantic that gets, right? I mean, when, when we were young, we we're like, man, I'll go change the world. I'm going to volunteer for the Peace Corps. I'm going to go, I'm gonna, you know, I don't need money. And then, you know, the older you got, you realize, actually, I kind of do. Because um, ain't anybody handing it out. And I, I might find $20,000 when I'm pushing carts at Walmart when I'm 84, but probably not, you know. And so, and so it gets a little less romantic the older we get. And so this really maybe leans into us as parents more than it does kids. When he says, the better is a poor person who walks in his integrity. It's better for you to miss out on the American dream. It's better for you to be working when you're 84. 
It's better for you to be moved back in with your kids in your last years than to be a liar. Now, for some of us in here, we go, I don't know. I mean, one or two white lies to keep me from having to move back in with my kids might be well worth it. But wisdom says it's not. Wisdom says at the end of the day, when you are at your deathbed, you more than likely will not be laying there thinking, I wish I had made more money. You might have skyrocketing doctor bills. And on your way out, you won't care. <laughs> you know, you ain't paying them. You're going to be with Jesus if you're a follower of him. You're not gonna be laying there going, man, I wish I had made more money. You're gonna be thinking about relationships. You're going to be thinking about legacy. You're gonna be thinking about what you left behind, who you've invested in, and, and what kind of legacy do you wanna leave? Do you want your kids to look at you and go, man, my mom, my grandmother was one of the most godly people I know. I get to mentor one of our students who lost his grandfather uh, a couple of weeks ago. And as that time was coming near, we were sitting in a restaurant, we were talking uh, about his grandfather. And this, I mean, so he just started, I mean, raving about his grandfather. And he said, man, my grandfather uh, is one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. And I was sitting there as a dad talking to this high school kid. And I, said, and I don't even know if he could understand it. Like I said, one day, don't, don't you wish your kids would be able to say the same thing about you? You know, not, hey, my parents left me a lot of money, but my parents impacted me. Don't you want to be a person who leaves a legacy? Well, a person of wisdom says it'd be better for you to be poor with integrity than for you to have all the money in the world and not have integrity. We may struggle with that. We may go, I'm not so sure about that. But this is one of those moments when we have to trust people who've been there and done that and have application and knowledge spread out over time. It's called wisdom. At the end of the day, that's at the end of the day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to die and you're going to spend eternity bringing honor and praise to God. That's what we're gonna do. That's what he deserves. So why not start now? We're not gonna be in heaven like investing money for Jesus. Like, look what I got you today, you know? Because he owns everything. He doesn't need this. Think you're investing my stuff and getting me more of my stuff. You have, I have it all. We're gonna be giving him praise. That's why we start now. And we bring honor by being a person of honesty. So what can we do? It's a little bit harder to find some application when you've got four different verses. They talk about different things. Talk about our finances and talk about business decisions. We're talking about pleasing God. We're talking about pleasing people who are leaders. So let me give you a couple of things as we move into, we're kind of closing up the semester. We're gonna have YouTube night this Wednesday night and then we're gonna have two Christmas lessons and then, uh, I mean, we'll still meeting in here, but we'll be doing some kind of standalone things. We won't be having the parent connection uh, through the holidays. So through the holidays, here's the first thing. Maybe as a family or just for yourself, you start memorizing some of these verses. Some of these four, I can give them to you again if you need them at the end, but memorize some of these verses because there's gonna be this moment in your life and it may, be, it may be this month, it may be later this year, it may be 10 years from now, I don't know, where you're going to come face to face with a decision. You're gonna have a moment where uh, there's a crossroads and you're gonna have to choose honesty or dishonesty. And as you've memorized some of these scriptures, they're gonna be in your heart. They're gonna be embedded in there. And you won't even know that it's happening, but the word of God is going to penetrate and affect your decision-making. Now, here's the great thing. In the last series, we memorized 1 Corinthians um, 10, 13. 
It literally took me six weeks to memorize that verse because <laughs> I'm so bad. These are easy, though. These, these are just, these are our quick sayings. And the first, the first half sets up the set. You can memorize maybe all four of these, but pick one. And as a family, maybe you look back, and I think in the app, one of the questions is, which one of these stands out most to you as a family? That kind of is a parent discussion. Maybe you take that as a family. Hey, let's memorize this. Or we'll, we'll have a memory verse for the Christmas series, two weeks. But over the next month or so, we lean in and we get one of these as a family, the one that we feel like most affects our life. And we start putting this word into our lives. Here's the second thing. We walk daily. Memorize verses. The second thing is walk daily with wise people. You need to find some people in your life. There's an old Christian song. Old, old, like I'm in college Christian song. And the lyrics were this. Throw those up there because I don't have them memorized. I need to read them. Did I not put them in there? Oh, thanks. Here, here are the lyrics. So you can read it like a poem. He says, I prayed a prayer for wisdom just like a farmer prays for rain because I know that I must have it to survive in this life. And I stared out in the distance because it seemed so far away. And I waited for the lightning, but the lightning and the thunder never came. I prayed for wisdom and kept waiting for God just to, to blow me up with it. So I took a look beside me to my left, to my right, and saw people full of wisdom all around in my life. And it started to come clear. I began to understand that my prayer was being answered. It's all part of God's plan. If we walk with the wise, we will grow wise. If we walk in the light, then our path will be bright. I know there's someone who's already been where we must go. In the light of what they've learned, we find that we will grow wise if we walk with the wise. I love, I love that. Praying for wisdom and wanting God to just supernaturally dump it on him. And what he discovers is as he's praying for wisdom, God has placed people of wisdom all around him to learn from. We memorize scripture. The second thing is we find some people to walk with. For you, that may be finding a mentor. Again, we talk about leadership track. That's why we do it with our students. I'll, I'll tell you this, as an adult, it's hard. It's hard to find somebody to mentor us on, on several levels. One, we, we don't know a whole lot of people that are older than us that could spend and invest time. That's one of the great things about being a part of a church that values multi-generational community, that those people are here. And we can find some people that can lean in to us. But the second thing that's hard is we're not used to it. We don't even know how to mentor. We've never been mentored. We're going to ask someone to be a mentor that's never done it. And it's going to be kind of, it's going to be a little bit of a journey to figure it out. But find somebody that can speak into your life. Find some books. You've got, you've got mentors there. You've got people who have wisdom that have written. Find some books and, and read one over this Christmas holiday. Read one before the end of the year. Not just read, but read it. How does this apply to my life? How do I put the wisdom that this person has into my life? Or the most important thing you could do, is, if you're not doing this already, is find a, a Bible reading plan. Because this book is full of wisdom. Not just the wisdom literature and Psalms and Proverbs and, and those books, but throughout Scripture. It's wisdom as we start reading it day by day, we start growing to be wise. James Billington is the 13th librarian, librarian of Congress. You know the Library of Congress? Has over... 155 million items in the Library of Congress, 35 million cataloged books. I love books. I collect books. I'm so, I'm, I'm so sick that when I listen to a book on audio, I then find the book online for the cheapest I can buy it so I can put it because I collect them. Uh, I know, I need help in a, in a real bad way. So I think of this, but I, 35 million books, that's overwhelming to me. Library of Congress, and James Billington says this, he describes our culture. He says, we have an info-glut culture. We have this culture that is just gluttonous on information. 
And then he asked this question. With all of what we have and all of the information and 35 million books and 155 million items inside the Library of Congress and Google on our fingertips to find out anything we want, he asked this question in the midst of this conversation. He says, but are we getting wiser? It's a great question. With everything that we have around us, all of the knowledge, instantaneous, are we getting wiser? As we get wiser, what we discover is the value of honesty. It pleases God. It pleases authorities in our life. It brings leaders up. All of these things we've talked about this morning. So as we finish the series, Pretty Little Liars, we talk about honesty. We've tried to take this idea and move it out of the second grade level of tell the truth because it's right. And for us to see the difficulties in it, but also to see the great value in it. And my prayer is that over this week, as you kind of conclude this series at home, you'll have some great conversations about the value of honesty with your teenagers.